0: Hey, I want to welcome you back to God-Sized Living. This is episode four of our podcast. Some of you are joining me anew. Some of you have been listening. If you're new, I kind of want you to know the uh, impetus for this podcast really has grown out of a conviction that I have. Uh, As a pastor, I get to watch people's lives, and I'm convinced that there are a lot of people that are living lives that are just too little, not the way God designed them to be. I want to ask questions, provoking questions that cause us to stop and think about what has God called us to? What does it mean to live a a God-sized life? Don't get me wrong. I'm like any other person. Uh, I love getting out of bed and and taking a double shot of espresso, but but I really believe that it shouldn't take caffeine to, to get us motivated to go into a day. God's got something much more powerful than that, and it's called passion. It's actually an invitation to join him uh, on a journey uh, towards changing this world one soul at a time. Uh, so, what does that look like in real time? I'm convinced that there's stories in the Bible that really help us capture what God-sized lives look like. Uh, Daniel is one of those stories. Uh, we've been kind of dipping our, our minds back into the Old Testament and looking at this this character and trying to, to, to learn from him. And today in our episode, we're, we're going to kind of come to this place together with Daniel where he faces what I'm going to call a crossroad. Uh, Daniel is faced with the decision, do I cross this line in the sand that I've drawn for my life or do I stay true to what I really believe? And I'm hoping this episode raises some some questions personally for every one of us, Uh, three of them particularly. Question number one, do I have lines that I've drawn in the sand of my life? In other words, are there things based upon my morals, based upon the values that I have, uh, based upon theological convictions, spiritual beliefs, that I would say, look, this line I'm not crossing over. I won't do it. Do you have that in your life? And if you do, what are those lines? So here's question two. Have you ever stepped over that line? And I want to ask that question in honesty because I happen to believe that there's there's none of us who are going to pull back and say, Oh, no, 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 I've never stepped over a line or broken a conviction that I have or or stepped out. Of course we have. And, and when you do, you know what, what does God call us, call us back to? So that's question two. Question number three, is there one line, is there one line that you've drawn in the sand that you would die before you crossed over it? That you would say, look, I don't care what you do to me. You put me in jail, you know, take me out. It doesn't matter to me. That line, I will not cross. What, what is that? Line for you and I'm asking these questions because that's Daniel Daniel faces them so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off I want to just contextualize uh, the the episode by looking at w- what it is that that brings Daniel to this place where he has to look at that line that he's drawn in the sand and decide do I cross over it or not so we're just going to contextualize uh, what's going on in Daniel's life. We're going to get specifically into several verses of chapter one of the book of Daniel. We're going to look at verses eight to 21. And I believe that these are the verses that are are asking Daniel a question. What size is your life? Do you want to live a world-sized life? Little? Kind of bound by the narratives of of this world? or Are you going to live God-sized? What's it going to be? And, uh, and then the last thing I want to do in our, our episode today is really kind of uh, deal with what I call a tension that's going on in this particular part of Daniel's life. And I think we face this tension. So on one side of the tension is the desire that I have to stay true to what I believe. I'm not stepping over that line. I won't do it. That's part of the tension. On the other side, though, is a desire to to hold on to my convictions. I'm just going to say this as plainly as I can without being a jerk to other people. You know, I don't want to come across as arrogant or, you know what, I'm I'm better than you, uh, judgmental of you, uh, disrespectful. I need to be able to hang on to my values, my morality, my belief system, but do it in a way It still looks at people who may believe the opposite of what I believe and yet hold them in respect. That's a tension. And I've got to tell you, that's a that's a tough tension to achieve. So if you're ready, we'll jump into these verses together. So let's start off uh, with a little bit of contextualization. I want us to to kind of understand what is it exactly that causes Daniel to reach this point in his life where he faces this line-in-the-sand moment, where he's got to make a decision. Look, am I going to step over that line, or am I going to, I'm going to stand strong on what I believe, what I hold fast? So what, what's going on historically that brings Daniel to this point? I want to go back, and I want to begin with two words that we used last week, and the words are genisarial warfare. I want us to understand that when Babylon fought its battles, it fought differently than any other country. Uh, It didn't fight like the Romans. It didn't fight like the Greeks. It did not fight like the Persians or the Egyptians. They had their own kind of warfare strategy or methodology. And I kind of call it the, the wave methodology. So, I always tell people, just picture if you will you know that sand castle that you've built on the shores we've all we've all built one right, and I mean, you get it just the way you want it. you get the doors right and the moat and the big you know drop down bridge and the the castles and the church. you got it all in place, and then here come the waves right Well, your sand is not going to be destroyed with one wave right it takes. A number of waves before your sandcastle is just knocked out. And I want you to think about Babylonian warfare that way. It came in waves. Uh, three in particular. The first, the first wave was actually a military strike. So the Babylonian uh, armies would come against an enemy and would win a very decisive military battle. Uh, there's no doubt in anyone's mind but that the opponent has been uh, taken down. Here's what they would not do, though. This is different than a lot of other countries. They, w- they would not level the opponent's country to the ground. They wouldn't burn their buildings or destroy their libraries. That's significant. They'd leave them in place because there are more waves coming. Second wave. Second wave was a psychological warfare wave So what what they would do is uh, they would come back into the town that they've defeated now and they would would capture the king of that town or the leaders of that town, his court, his family, all those loyal to him they would literally bind them up and then they would they would parade them through town and psychologically what they're doing is they're saying to to that country to the enemy country uh, look, we own you these are your kings. This is all of your leadership here. And they're impotent. They cannot help you. You know why? Because we own you. And from now on, you will pay taxes to us. So uh, they would ultimately restore the the king uh, to his throne, but as a vassal leader. In other words, a a leader who is under the authority of, of Babylon and paying taxes uh, to Babylon just to stay alive. So the second wave is psychological. Then the, the third wave is where Daniel comes in. It's kind of interesting. So in the third wave they would come back into the cities of the town that they're overcoming and they would literally identify the best and the brightest of the young people of that country, the best and the brightest. And they would kidnap them, bring them back to Babylon, And begin to enculturate them or make them, literally make them Babylonians. So they would would teach them Babylonian art, literature, military warfare, uh, Babylonian culture. They're turning them into Babylonians. Now the process, kind of interesting, the process of enculturation would take about three years. This is where we meet Daniel. Uh, This is where we meet Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the the four Judeans that make up the primary characters in the book of Daniel, uh, who we meet uh, early on in chapter one. They have been kidnapped. They're young. And Daniel is probably somewhere between 12 to 14 years old. They're young. They've been brought back into Babylon. They're under the king in his court, and they're being made Babylonians. Now, I want to add one thing. There was Always a fourth wave. And that fourth wave would be the, the, the kind of the decisive, um, the decisive wave. And this is where we get the term genocidal warfare. What they would do is, after they had uh, turned these kidnapped uh, victims into Babylonians, the, the children uh, of, the, of their enemies, they would now put those kids into the Babylonian armies. And they would send those armies back into the towns of the city, and, and now they would take them to the ground. And, and oftentimes then, it wasn't just an adversary who was killing the moms and the dads who were continuing to live in this, this town. It was actually your own children. Thus the term "genocide," which of course stems from the idea of from the same gene pool, genocide. These are the kids who are actually killing their own moms and dads uh, as the ultimate blow in Babylon overcoming a country. So I want you to kind of get this in your mind. This is where we meet Daniel. He is in the king's court. Uh, he's being enculturated. When all of a sudden something happens that causes him to have to say, whoa, wait a minute, uh, you're, you're, this is too much. You're asking me now to step over a line that I'm I'm not going to step over. So I want to read this to you. This is from Daniel chapter 1 beginning verse 8. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, but I want you to identify with me what that line in the sand was. All right, here's here are the words. It says verse 8, chapter 1. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Okay, so what's what's going on there? What's this line in the sand? It has to do with food for a reason. Remember that, that Daniel has grown up. Where? In Jerusalem. He's a Hebrew. And as, as a young man... He would have grown up having to have had memorized what we today call the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. This is how um, this is how the the Hebrews really transmitted their belief system uh, from generation to generation. Uh, the, The young would literally put into memory all of the words of the first five books of the Bible. Now, one of those books is the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus chapter 11, we have what we call the food laws of Israel. This is where God is coming and he's saying to Israel, I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be different than every other nation. You are going to be the nation that I use to bring other nations to me. And so to define you uh, and actually to identify you, as separate from the world, I'm going to tell you uh, that there are some foods you can not eat lying in the sand. If you ever want to have some fun, go back, read through chapter 11 of Leviticus. You'll, you'll kind of laugh today and you'll say to yourself, my goodness gracious, uh, that would be a difficult diet to follow. The point is that part of enculturation was uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they all were being asked to eat food from the king's table. That included food that God had told them, do not eat. There's the line in the sand. And so, so Daniel has to make this choice. Do I kind of go along with things? Uh, do, I, do I say, okay, I'll eat it? I mean, who's looking? Nobody's Nobody's watching, right? This is all done in private. And so it would be easy for uh, these Hebrew boys to just say, well, you know what, we're, we're enemies, we're under the authority of this this king. Uh, if, we, if, we, if we don't eat this food, maybe we, we'll be killed or imprisoned or something. So let's just do it. Or, nope, line in the sand. I, I am not going to violate something that God has has called me not to do. In the New Testament, as Christians today uh, I, I have a word for this or a phrase for this. I like to call this the, the Acts 5 dilemma. Remember with me in the New Testament, uh, the fifth chapter of Acts takes us to this, this scene where the apostles, this is after Jesus' resurrection, are actually out in the temple and they're telling people about Jesus as Jesus commanded them to do. When all of a sudden the, Ro- the Romans come in uh, along with the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish court, uh, arrest them, put them in prison, and tell them you cannot preach in the name of Jesus Christ ever again. And remember their, their response. The apostles said, uh, we must obey God rather than man. Uh, I teach Christians to this day, there's two times when it is biblically right and correct to commit what we today call civil disobedience. I'm going to disobey the, the, the governors, the leaders of, of my country, if one of two things is true. If I am commanded by them to do something that God has told me not to do, or kind of flip that upside down, if, if I'm commanded not to do something that God has called me to do. Those two things are line in the sand right? I'm not crossing over that. And so Daniel is being faced with that. God's clearly told me not to do that. You're commanding me to do that. I must obey God rather than man. And so he's coming to uh, this this eunuch uh, who is overseeing uh, the the whole project of enculturation. And he's telling him, um, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. Now I want to go to the Hebrew text cuz I think this is interesting. In the Hebrew text, uh verse number 8 reads a little bit differently than it does in our English text. In our English text it simply says Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He resolved. Uh other translations say Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Almost sounds cognitive in nature, right? Like, I, I use my mind. I, I, I know what God told me to do. I hear what you're telling me to do. Line in the sand, I'm not going to do it, right? In the Hebrew text, however, the, the word that's used for our English term resolved has a little more depth to it. So the verb that's used in the Hebrew text is the verb lob. You would spell it L-O be lobe. Almost sounds like an English word. In fact, it is uh, the root word from which we derive our English term, what? Love, lobe, love. And, and so the depth <clears throat> that's really going on here, I think is significant. What Daniel is really saying is, hey guys, I'm in love. I'm in a relationship. And I'm I'm in a relationship with this this God who made me, and who purposed me, and as a result of that you you've asked me to cheat on him, and you know what? I won't do it. I'm not gonna cheat on God. I don't care what you do to me, but i'm I'm asking you to 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 give consideration to this. I'm telling you i I can't do it. I will not do it <clears throat> now here here's what I find significant i I really believe that this whole text raises up three significant questions for us in the church today i want to put these in front of you and then then we're going to kind of close out for the day but the first question is do you have lines in the sand and really i want you to think about that i'm just be honest with yourself do i have lines of the sand are are there things that i really truly believe god has said to me uh, this you shall do and this you shall not do Uh, and if so, what are those lines in the sand for you? Second question, um, kind of gets serious Here's the second question. Have you ever crossed one of those lines? In other words, you, you said to yourself, I will never do this. I'll never say this. I'll never look at this. I'll never be part of this. And, and you do, you cross over the line. As a pastor, I get to talk to people all the time, and there's two words that I hear often when it comes to to these moments where we do. We cross over the line, and we find ourselves saying words like regret, or the second word I hear a lot is the word shame. I'm ashamed. You know what? God didn't create us to live in, in regret or shame. And I think when we when we sink down into those places where where we're just captured by shame, we're allowing our our enemy to stand over us, to kind of kind of hold over us our our failure, to point at us and to say, "Look at who you are. You call yourself a God follower. Look 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 what you did. You think you think God loves you? No, He don't love you. And we we kind of allow ourselves to to shrink to that that small place." Where, you know what? We're 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 kind of just living in self condemnation. Um, God didn't create us to to live that way, and, and I think the same thing is true with with regret. Uh, does it does it hold a place in our life? I don't believe so. I, I do believe repentance holds a place. It's a different thing. Uh, repentance is uh, in the Greek metanoia. It's turning yourself around. It's a one eighty. It's that that moment where I say, you know what, God, I did. I blew it. I stepped over a line that I created that I am never going to step over that line that I, that I really believed, God, that, that you had called me never to go here, and I went there. I'm sorry, God. And God, turned me around, 180 me. I want to come back to you. This is about relationship. This is about, guess what? I'm in love with Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to cheat on him. And you know what? We do. We cheat on him. And when we do, guess what? There's the cross. There's a Jesus Christ who's looking at you and looking at me and saying, through that cross, you have forgiveness and I will turn you around and lead you right back into my arms. And I really believe that this text is just calling us to to be honest about where we are right now today in our lives. Am I crossing lines that God said, no, I, I don't want you to cross over that line. Am I doing that? Then the last question I think Really significant again today is the question, is there a line that you would never cross? I mean, you would die before you crossed that line. So I'm going to ask you, what is that line? What is that line? You say, I would never cross this line. Because the minute you speak those words, I'm going to guarantee you this. You have an enemy who says, aha, make a note there. And he will work on you and work on you and work on you and try to bring you to a place where you cross that line. And you know what? It's why we every day come back to a word that that holds on to us and keeps us strong in those moments. And I think that's what's happening here in chapter 1 of Daniel is God's been holding on to Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Three men who had the word put into them when they were very young. And you know what? They've been taken out of Jerusalem. But you can't take Jerusalem out of them. You can't take the word out of them. And I believe that every night as they're laying down on their beds and in the mornings when they're waking up and, and, and at noontime when, they, when they're when they getting ready to, to eat their meal, they're rehearsing these words, the word of God, again and again and again. And it's holding onto them and keeping them In God's care Uh, what are those rhythms in your life right now that hold on to you in those moments when your enemy says come on no one's looking cross the line what are those rhythms that you have in your life today are they present are they missing if they're missing, I just want to encourage you to uh, to look at what is it would it take for me to just start some rhythm. Whether it's uh, five minutes of reading the Bible each day. Uh, whether it's five minutes of prayer every day. Just what can those rhythms be that hold on to me? That allow God, the Spirit, to hold on to me in those times when I know that the enemy is saying, come on, cross the line. Um, I want to... Uh, next week, kind of get into attention that I believe is important, uh, as important as it is for us to, to not cross the line, to hold on to uh, those things that we believe and trust. I think it's also important for us to think about how to do that in a way that is not offensive to other people. And uh, so I always say, I, I want to hold on to the truth, but I don't want to be a jerk uh, when I do that. So I want to get into that next week. And until then, I'm going to wish you God's richest blessings. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you'll come back next week and and be part of this uh, podcast in an ongoing way. Uh, Just hit subscribe and we'll be back together next week. God bless you.